Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. We're in the book of 2 Timothy. We were supposed to start it last week, but we felt the Spirit lead us into communion in a long form way, and I think it was beautiful. So I'm just thankful that we are in a church where if we say, hey, we think the Lord wants us to go this way, everybody in here was like, let's go. And so thank you for being here. Grab a Bible, 2 Timothy. Uh, It's after 1 Timothy. It's in the New Testament. And then young Timothy would have met Paul, who's writing this letter when he was about 16. And then about 10 years goes by, and he's writing a second letter. So the first Timothy, the letter of 1 Timothy, was written when Paul was out of prison after his first missionary journey. The letter of 2 Timothy is written, and Paul's in prison, and he knows he's not getting out. And so he's writing to young Timothy, who would have been either old 20s or young 30s, to kind of begin to pass it on, to pass on the baton. And really, what I notice about the Bible... Uh, is that when they would have received these letters, they would have been so excited. So imagine there's not emails, there's not like uh, fast traveling cars, there's, there's message couriers and guys that would carry a letter from an apostle to a church. Now imagine somebody like Timothy, I mean, I'll be a young pastor, I feel like I'm still a young pastor, and we get a letter from an apostle. The, the amount of like, read it and read it slow and then let's talk about it. And that's what I really want to do today. We, we're going to try to cover chapters one and two, which is funny. Like I almost laugh when I say that because I've done whole sermons on one verse and we're going to do two chapters. So I'd like to read the word of God and I'd like to put you in that same kind of spot, same mentality. The Old Testament Christians became the new covenant Christians and they still had the Old Testament text which you have in front of you and then they started to receive these letters from the apostles of God who had seen Jesus alive and they began to teach them and so they would get these letters and they would unscroll them and the whole congregation would get together hello and then they would read it as it is a letter from Paul from John from whoever it is and then I I just picture a, a, level, a level of rap, like they were, stu- they were in on it, man. They were like, we want to know what God's saying. Can we get yourself there? Because I know we've read the Bible a lot. Y'all carry one of these around. I joke a lot. I got a bathroom Bible. I got a coffee table Bible. I probably have a hip holster Bible somewhere. Like I got one in my, I got 17 Bibles at my disposal. But I want to go back to the New Testament where it was like, please tell me what it says. And it would have been read from the front kids, moms, dads, everybody would have stood there. And so uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to read a couple verses and then we're going to stop and then we're going to read a couple verses. And like I said, uh, the goal is two whole chapters. It's a mighty goal. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So if I was to ask you, who's Paul? Paul used to be a different name, and then he became an apostle of God. He saw Jesus in a vision, and he becomes this great apostle, great deliverer, great sent one to share the gospel with the Gentiles. As I mentioned before, if you want to know when he meets Timothy, he meets him in Acts 16 in Lystra. 
Think like modern day Turkey. And he notices this 16-year-old boy has something on his life. You ever met a 16-year-old that's on fire for Jesus? That's, what, that's it. Like he noticed that Timothy had a faith, had a, like a, a calling on him, and he begins to kind of mentor Timothy. But what I notice when we read the Bible, we skip the first two verses and the precursors and all the subtext. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So I want to try to take the scripture, talk about what it means, and then apply it to you every time we read a little chunk. Paul says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's really confident about that, right? So Paul knows who's he, who he is, and who he is is wrapped up in what he's doing, and what he's doing is wrapped up in this calling he received from Jesus himself. And I put this into modern, in this room right now, I have some called, sealed, favor of God people in the house. Who are you? Who does God call you? What has God called you to? And it might not be the same for everybody in this room. So Paul says, I'm an apostle. I know what I am and I know what I'm doing. Do you? And I like that because really a lot of mainstream Christianity is do your normal life with just a little bit of Jesus on it. But I want you to say, my whole life is Jesus's. He gets to do what he wants through me. I get to go where he wants me. What has he called you to do? And there'll be different levels and in this room. Some of you are called to raise two kids real well to love Jesus Christ. Some of you are called to go to work and work hard and have balanced scales and not cheat your taxes and be an image of the invisible God to an unbelieving world. Some of you are called to go be missionaries, be pastors. Some of you are called to be Timothys. Some of us might even go up and be like, hey, I feel like I might be called into this apostolic role of starting churches and being sent to do that. Everybody in here is called to do something. Do you know what you're called to do? And more than that, would you that confidently, if I said, who are you in Christ? Could you tell me like Paul does? Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ and I'm doing what I was told to do. Who are you in Christ and are you doing what you were told to do? He says to Timothy, you're my beloved child or son. And really that's, that's him going, I've, I've nurtured you from 16. You're now a young 30 year old man and I want you to have grace and I want you to have peace and I want you to have the love of God. Go to verse three. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us the spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So you look and you see two names. You have a grandmother, Lois, and you have a mother, Eunice. So anybody in here have a believing grandmother or a believing mother that you would go, they changed my life? Anybody? Good. Just my grandmother's not here and I wish she was because I was going to like brag on her. Grandma Joy, she don't mess around, all right? She has put her finger in my face more times than like I can count, all right? And go, that's not the way God called you to live, boy. I mean, I, I, I have this, I have grandmothers. She's my grandmother. My great-grandmother once on my grandpa's side was sitting in a very, very, very 
I was going to say clean, very regimented Presbyterian church or Baptist church, I believe. Everything was in order. She was sitting in her pew, and then the Spirit of God fell on my grandmother, and she began to speak in tongues. And so the Baptist kicked her out, and she became a beehive-wearing Pentecostal lady. So that's my background, all right? And so here we are, and he's going, all right, Timothy, I saw faith in you, but where did it come from? Well, your grandmother Lois, she preached it into you. She had faith, and you're showing that they were probably Jewish believers. And then also your mother, she had faith. And now, Timothy, you have faith. What I love about this is so often, especially in complementarian churches where, hey, we do believe in male headship, you can almost forget the power of a praying woman. You can forget that God has called and gifted women. And my grandmother prayed me through high school, I'm pretty sure. I'm not in jail or dead because praying women. That should be a lot of amens from a lot of rock-headed dudes in this room, all right? And so it's beautiful. I love it because he's not like, hey, your grandpappy or your dad, which we're in probably in the equation. Timothy's dad was probably Greek and didn't believe in Jesus, but his mom did. So Timothy grows up as a man in the Lord who gets two old books written to him by the apostle of apostles because his grandmother and his mother were faithful to what they were called to do. So once again, do you know what you are called to do? And it might be to raise a Timothy. It might be to grab a hold of a guy like me in prayer and lift me up until I get it and God gets a hold of my heart. And now, now look me at me, mom, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. What are you doing? What you are supposed to be doing on the calling of God on your life. Now, don't assume it's some missionary journey or writing a book or launching a church. It can be the small things, but the small things are powerful when they're done by God's call. Do you know who you are in God? Paul says, I'm an apostle. Timothy says, I'm a pastor. Lois and Eunice, grandmother and mom. But they get their name mentioned as changing Timothy's life. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us the spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So fanning into flame. Anybody ever gone backpacking or camping? You have a fire, it's beautiful, you love it, you go to bed, and in the morning, what do you do? You try to get any embers or any coals to come back into a flame. And the reality is, Paul's in prison. Why is Paul in prison? Because he preached. Because he had a big mouth. Because he exerted the power and the will of God everywhere he went. And he got beat for it, and he got whipped for it, and he got kicked out of towns for it, and now he's in jail. So if I'm here right now and I start to preach and let's say the police bust in and it becomes illegal all of a sudden to talk about Jesus and I go to jail, does that not create some kind of fear in you? A little bit of like, maybe I won't talk about it because I don't want to go to jail. So what is Paul doing? He's trying to remind Timothy it's worth it. And I'm not making it out out of this prison, Timothy, but you don't let the gift of God go stale in you. You flan it to flame. And so when you have Paul going, I laid my hands on you, and we watched the power of God come on you, and we don't even know what the gift is. It could have been tongues. It could have been prophecy. It could have been teaching. It could have been, we don't know what it is, but my guess, if, if, if he's going, hey, fan it to flame, it's a gift that if he used it, people would be like, that's a little weird, a little bold, and probably would get him in trouble. And he doesn't want young Timothy to be afraid. 
And he doesn't want young Timothy. Nobody in here, if you go uptown right now and stand on a box, probably not right now because it's raining, and you start yelling about Jesus, are you going to jail? No. You walk down your high school with a Bible in your hand. Are you getting kicked out of school? No. So we're not even in the same context, but we have the same fear. And so what does he say? All right, fan the flame, these gifts that were, we laid our hands on you and you received this power. Then he says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Your version might say a sound mind. Why does he say that? He's going, don't be afraid if they beat you. Don't be afraid if they throw you in prison. You use the gift of God and you do your calling. Fulfill your calling, Timothy. And really, it's this, this idea that he's going, he knows, Paul's like, I can kind of see the end of my race. Any, any grandparents in this room? Like, praise God for all of you, right? And I just did a funeral in this room yesterday, and you could feel this, like, a, a life lived where you pass down your knowledge and your hunger and your life to a, the younger generation. And I never understood that in my 30s. I'm going to be 40 in like two weeks. But then I'm like, I'm a real adult. I made it. <laughs> and I've started to feel that. Like, I have a 14-year-old. And what, what kind of man am I going to remind? Like, what am I, what am I going to leave Abe with? Is it just going to be like how to bicep curl? Is it going to be like a passion and a thirst for the living God? I hope it's the other one, not the first one. What, what, are, you, what are you passing on? Because that's the next thing he's going to say in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound word that you have heard from me. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Therefore, because you've been given a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind or self-discipline and self-control, don't be ashamed. You ever met a Christian you're kind of ashamed to be around because they're real loud about Jesus? You can be honest. Like the Christian that like hands out tracts, the Christian that like you're in the middle of a real normal conversation at a coffee shop and they're like, you ever heard about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? You're like, come on, man, be normal. That's what he doesn't want Timothy to do. He doesn't want Timothy to look at his situation and be like, ah, oh, Paul just should have shut up. He, wants him to, he actually wants him to join him and not shutting up. He wants Timothy to be bold and not afraid. So as Christians in this day and age, I believe we need to do what he actually tells us in verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Christian, who dwells in you? The Holy Spirit of the living God, who is, last I checked, the third member of the Trinity third person of the Godhead, God himself in you. 
So by the Holy Spirit, via, upon the power of, and leaning into the assistance of the Holy Spirit, do one thing. What's the word? Guard. Guard the deposit that's been entrusted to you. So what have you been given? You've been given the knowledge of the way to God through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You've been entrusted with that. You. So where you go after this will be different than where I go, and you have to guard that deposit. What I mean is you have a different friend group and you have a different family and you work at different places and you're taking a deposit of the Spirit of God to that place. Guard it. In this day and age, I have so many conversations with typically younger Christians, but sometimes guys my age, maybe even older, who are, they didn't guard it. And they go to work and they hear their coworkers talk about going on vacations and spending lavish money and getting all this stuff and doing their life the way they want to do it. And before long, because they didn't guard the deposit, they're like, you know what? This Jesus thing, I tried it and I think I'm going to, got to guard the deposit. You, you need to, we need to trust now in this day and age more than ever the basic doctrines of Christianity, that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin that he lived a perfect, sinless life, that all the miracles in the Bible are yes and true. He healed, he raised from the dead, he spoke the very words of God because he was him. He went to the cross and bore our sin. And the punishment I deserved was put on the living son of God who then breathed his last breath. And with his last breath, he said, it's finished. So there's no more altar, no more sacrifices. I'm not letting blood out of animals right now. Jesus let his blood out. And three days later, he rose from the dead bodily, not just figuratively, not just spiritually. He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death itself. Lock yourself into that. The world will try to tear that knowledge out of you. And even your own flesh at some points will be like, I don't want to believe it because it makes me have to live different. I don't want to believe all that because then I can't spend my money how I want and I can't sleep with who I want and I can't watch that show anymore. You see how you have to guard it and you have to put to death what's earthly in you and you have to wage the good warfare. You have to hear Paul's words to Timothy. He's like, don't get afraid now. It's going to cost you something. And we're not used to, as Americans, it costing us anything. So from 1960s, 70s maybe, to about 2000, Christianity was up here. We ruled the world. We were up in politics. Everybody liked the Christians. If you were like, I'm a Christian, you were in the club. But now you say you're a Christian and people kind of like, what kind of Christian are you? And they kind of like back up a little bit. It's only going to get worse and it's only going to cost you more. And I say, praise God. Praise God that's going to start costing Christians to go, I, I, I name the name of Jesus. And I'm going to go God's way right now in my work, in my family, in my money, how I raise my kids, where we go and what we don't go. So when everybody else is going on vacation, I'm going, God, where do you want me to give my money? And if it's not vacation, then I'm giving it away. I can still go on vacation as a Christian, but I don't think Christians retire. We just keep, we just graduate to glory. So if you're 74 in this room, God still has a calling on your life. Fulfill your calling. And usually this is when we talk like this, we're going, well, Paul had a calling. Timothy had the calling. You might even look at me and be like, obviously Andrew's got a calling just because I have a loud voice. No, you, every person in this room, and I'm big on this, like the ministry of every believer, everybody gets to play in the kingdom of God. 
which everybody in here, you get to go into work and somebody broke their ankle, pray for them. You're like, that's scary. You do not been given a spirit of fear, but a power of love and self-discipline. Self-discipline, the ability to say, okay, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to trust the path of God for my life. Are you, do you know who you are in God? Do you know that when you got saved, that you were regenerated by the Spirit and made a new creation? Do you know that? And I don't mean know it. I mean like, it's who you are. And then do you know his calling on your life? And here's the thing. Some of us, we have no idea because we've never thought about it. You're like, I thought my calling was just to like go to work, raise some safe kids, get 2.5 kids in a Labradoodle and come to church on Sunday. I thought that was all that this was. You get to know God. That is the good news of Christianity. You are separated from him. Jesus brought you near. And now you get to walk the rest of your earthly life with God in you. The Holy Spirit. And he wants to use you to build his kingdom. How's that going? And it's scary sometimes, is it not? I've never, I've tried to not make it like this big, beautiful thing where like I just walk around all day touching people and they're like, blessed. Like, that's not it. Half the time I feel God go, hey, go pray for them. And I'm like, I don't want to do that today. I don't want to be the awkward one, God. I'm already awkward as it is. Like, I just don't want, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes. And I'm constantly, and this is what Paul's saying to Timothy. And now I believe Paul is saying to you through the very word of God, don't be afraid, fulfill your calling. So if you're ignoring your calling, can I, this will be really helpful. Stop it. Stop ignoring God's call on your life. Stop ignoring the push of the Holy Spirit in the middle of your day. Stop acting like God only exists when you pray in your quiet time at seven in the morning, but he's with you in the middle of the day, at the end of the day, in all days. He goes on. We're going to go to chapter two. Chapter two, verse, well, the beginning. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And the athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, I love Paul because he's basically like, hey, I just said some stuff to you, but I'm not going to explain it. God's just going to teach you about it. And so he starts talking about these, these illustrations. He talks about a soldier, he talks about an athlete, he talks about a farmer. But right before he talks about that, he says, this is what I want you to do, Timothy. As I've taught you, find other men, and I want you to teach them to teach others. It has to work like this. Go back 2,000 years ago. There he went. Here we are, 2,000 years ago. That was weird. I don't know what happened. Some person told another person and trained them up in God. And then that person told another person and trained them up in God. And that has been happening for 2,000 years. Someone told my grandmother, probably her grandmother, about the goodness of God in a holler in Kentucky. Then they moved to Ohio because they needed money and they told my mom and my dad 
who ignored it until they had me out of wedlock, and then they went to a church, and they told them, and then they built themselves up in the Lord, and then finally, they told me. You are the exact same way. That's how this works, or it does not go on. So Jeremiah is not joking. We, like, we've laughed because it's, it's going to sound really, you're like, what? We just didn't care about kids. Uh, not, not that severely. We have them, but as dads, you're like, the four-year-olds will be fine. Like, just let them do things. But that, that, that weeping you see, he weeps a lot. He cries a lot for a big man. Um, that's the spirit of the Lord. A weight on a servant of the house of God, this one, an elder that's going, we need to raise generations that will raise generations that will raise generations. So we're not just, lo- I'm not just looking at my next 40 years, which is about, I want to check out in about 80. So boop, beat me up. But I'm not just looking at, okay, I, I want to max out my IRA. I want to get ready to go be whatever I want to be. I'm looking at generations behind me and going, okay, what are the generations of us? What's Silas going to be like? What's Silas Gomes? What is Grace, my daughter who's six right now? What kind of kids is she going to raise? What kind of prayer life is she going to pray? And then my prayer is that like our ceiling, that's their floor. And we just keep building this thing until the kingdom of God is a norm, not only in the 40-year-olds, but the 70-year-olds, the 40-year-olds, the 20-year-olds, the teens, and the, the kids. Everybody, generations. And so Paul knows that if you're in a relay race, anybody run track? I ran the four by four, threw, threw up after almost every race. I hated it. Sprint a whole lap as fast as you can and then bonk. Blah, like, okay. If you mess up the handoff, what happens? If you drop the baton, what happens? It's, it's off. You're out of the race. You're not winning, and you're disqualified. And sometimes, if we do not pass on the knowledge of God, and the reality is some of us, we're not even looking for anyone behind us to raise up. We're just looking at us. But Paul's really aware, sitting in prison, that his time is coming. And so he says, Timothy, I taught you. Now you teach them. He says, Timothy, go teach other men so that when you're gone, they're going to teach more. And they're going to teach more. And the teaching has gone on and on and on. It's worked. Here we are. It's worked. So some of you in this room need to ask the question, what does God call me? Maybe it's going to be pastor. But you've never thought about that because you're like, I'm just a metal worker. I'm just whatever I am. John Johnson is the greatest testimony of God calling a man out of a trade into the ministry. John can rivet. I don't even know what John used to do. He can do things with metal. So manly, right? And then God said, I want you to stop doing that. I want you to start doing what I'm calling you to. So you're not a blue collar worker anymore, John. You're you're a pastor, you're a priest in the house of God. What's God calling you to? What's what's his call on your life? And the thing is, they can change. So Anna and I, we we feel things shift all the time for us. She felt for a long time, she used to be a nurse practitioner, and then she felt the call of God to go and be a homeschool mom. You want to talk about a mental shift? Working all the time, making a lot of good money, And then God says, I want you to show these kids me at home day in and day out. You know which is harder? The homeschool. Because you're home all day. I understand that now more than ever. 
What's God's calling on your life? Because it might not be homeschool. It might be go to public school, but then you're at all the board meetings and you're at all the PTA things. You're being Jesus where he's called you. So where's he called you? And here's the reality. A lot of Christians never ask. That's my ask of you today. If you're a Christian in this church and you're a member, ask God, what do you want me doing? What do you want me doing, God? Not about me, not about imaging me. It's about imaging Christ, how he wants to show off his goodness wherever you are. Do you want me in this job, Lord? Anybody ever ask that question? That's scary because that's like, I'll give God Sunday. I might give him a little time in the morning, but he ain't getting my work. Well, then maybe he's not really the Lord yet. If he's Lord, King, ruler, he gets rule over every aspect of my life. And bigger than that, I get to call him father, which means when I go, dad, Abba, father, do you want me going here? And he goes, no, he's not robbing me. He's saving me. When I go, hey, Abba, you gave me these four kids. Do you want me to homeschool them or send them to public school? What do you want? What do you? And, and he goes, homeschool them. And it's hard. It's not because he's robbing me. He's giving blessing. What's God's call on your life? And are you fulfilling it? Because at the end of your life, you're going to maybe have a really good IRA. Maybe you'll have some cool experiences on some vacations. But will you have built the kingdom of God? Because there's things that last and there's things that don't. Because athletes or good soldiers or hardworking farmers, if you're a farmer and you don't plant seed, what doesn't happen? That's the analogy. That's why he's like, athletes who don't compete according to the rules or drop a baton, they don't get the reward. Farmers who don't do the hard work to plant don't do any reaping. Good soldiers who are so caught up in civilian affairs won't please the enlisting soldier because they don't, they're, not, they're not bought in. Those three analogies are, I think, pretty helpful. A soldier who's so caught up in civilian affairs will be a poor soldier. An athlete who does not train and doesn't play by the rules will get disqualified. And a farmer who doesn't do all the work that is required to reap will not sow. Let's do a couple more sections and then we'll see if we get out of here. <laughs> Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, he will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things. So this is also for you. Remind yourself of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no one good, but only ruins the hearer. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hermanius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So he starts to apply this word 
to Timothy and then to Timothy's people. So I think he applies it to me and then to, I was, I'll claim you, my people. I love you guys. But he's going to tell you to do some things. And really, verse 15, that's, I went to Moody Bible Institute and that's engraved in a wall there. It's the theme verse of the university. Do your best to present yourself to God, a worker who does not be ashamed, but rightfully divides the word of truth. And you're like, what's that got to do with me? I'm not Timothy. I'm not a pastor. And that's really why no one wants to preach 2 Timothy. It's a pastoral letter. It's from an apostle to a pastor. But now you know what my calling is, but I believe there's some calling on you. Go to verse 15. It says, do your best. So really, and I, I think we need to realize this, you, you, I can point to all of you, do your best to do what? Present yourself to God. So take your life, your living, waking, breathing life, and your kids, or if you have them, you're fine. Take it. Do your best, and I'll do mine, and we're going to take our lives, and we're going to go, God, what do you want to do with this? And no matter what he says, do your best to present your God, yourself to God as one approved and a worker. So it's going to take work to do what he says next. Do you want to know the things of God? It takes work and discipline to know the word of God. You have to get up and read it. You have to go do cross-references. You have to understand a little bit about languages and where to even go find the information. You got to get up and you got to go be a worker. A worker that does what? Rightly handles the word of truth. You ever met a Christian who's pretty flippant with this? They're like, I know, but like, it's so boring in Leviticus. I'm like, I don't know. But rightly handling the word of truth is what makes us not to be ashamed. So let me ask you this. In all this talk of your calling and all this talk of like what's God called you to be, we can so much sometimes get, get this, this really weighty thing of like, I have to go do things for God. But my real love of this is I want to rightly handle the word of truth because I rightly want to walk with God. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to be close to him. And there's an invitation by coming to this that I want to be with you, Father. And I want to know what's on your heart. And I want to sit with you in the morning, not so I can remember a textbook because I want to be touched by you and I want to touch you. I want to know the whisper of your spirit and I want to hide your word in my heart that I won't sin against you. I want all of it, God. I want all of it. So not, don't just focus on the calling because sometimes that can feel a very dewy kind of Christianity. There's nothing you have to do to be saved. Jesus did it. God's not more pleased with me because I'm doing this than he is with you if you're doing septic, if you're doing working, if you're doing whatever you're doing, he's not more pleased with me. But are you doing your calling? And your first call is a call to first love to be with God, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the greatest commandment, the first one greatest. Are you loving God? And I don't mean the idea of him, I mean him. Because he follows those, those two statements. He says, the, Lord's, the Lord knows those who are his. Isn't that calming? The Lord knows you. The Lord knows those that are his and belong to him and love him and are true to him. And you ever have a week where you're like, man, I'm a really crappy Christian this week. We're not going to raise our hands? Cool. I'll just do it. I'll do all mine. Okay. Like we're just like, I just didn't do a good job and I let my flesh run me a little bit, but the Lord knows the heart of men. 
and he knows whose are his. Which makes me go, oh, okay, God knows my heart. And God knows what, when I'm struggling. And God knows when it's a hard week. And God knows when I'm really tired. On Wednesday night, we gathered for prayer. And my first prayer out of my mouth was God, like crying. I was like, God, I'm just so tired. I'm really tired. But I'll follow you anywhere. Everyone, and then he follows that up with, the Lord knows who's, who are his. He says, everyone who names the name of the Lord. So I would just have a big assumption that 97.2% of people in this room would name Jesus Christ as their Savior. Everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And this is where pastoral work starts to happen. Are you giving your attention to things you should, men or women of God? Do you have hidden sin? Because a lot of times we can act a certain way at church and then we can name the name of the Lord and we can even take comfort in. He knows my heart, but I'm struggling. But he says, I want you to do a thing. I want you to depart from iniquity. I want you to stop giving yourself to dishonorable things. Go to verse 20. Now, in a great house, there are, only there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So he says, cleanse yourself from dishonorable things. I've joked so often when I was 17, me, Tupac, and Biggie hung out a lot. And then I got saved, and then I burned all those CDs, right? I departed what was dishonorable because I shouldn't listen to those things if I'm going to listen to the Word of God. Now, some of you, you're like, you're like a normal dude. You're like, man, what's wrong with me watching that movie with all the violence and murder? Nothing except you're searing your conscience. So a lot of things. What's wrong with me going to there doing this? I just end up cussing and drinking more than I should. Everything then. So he says, cleanse yourself from dishonorable things. And here's the reality. I have to do spot checks all the time with the Lord. You know what I mean? Like when you, you, you do a deep clean of your house and then it stays that way for like two days, it seems like. And then every once in a while, you'll just do a little like spot check. You'll just be like, oh, there's a little mess there. Or like, oh, I got to get that corner. God does this in the people of God all the time. And I, I found mature believers, 50-year-old Christians that are still to this day, God comes with the sponge of his, of his cleansing and he scrubs something out of them. So just because you're here in a church, you might have dishonorable stuff going on all over your life. And what does God say? Get rid of the dishonorable so God can use you for holy purposes. So the cup of your life might be full of filth right now. Your mouth might not be perfect. The things you look at, I mean, maybe you work on a job site. I don't think they talk too wholesome there all the time. And he's like, okay, so this cup, start pouring out the filth and start filling it with the holiness of God and then let God use your life in an honorable way. And then the last part, verse 22. And I think we're gonna make it. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him 
do his will. So as we end today, it's kind of with some commands, some things to look at in our own hearts. The first one is he says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. So there's a negative command and then there's a positive one. So the first one is flee. Now, if a woman came to my door, Anna's home with the kids and she's scantily clad, knocks on my door and tries to come after me, what should I do? Slam the door and run away, right? That's fleeing, correct? Flee, run away from, exert energy to escape sin. Don't let your youthful passions claim you. Now, what are youthful passions? Typically, they're sexual youthful passions because we got hormones. I mean, they're just like, I feel things. And I, you know, like that's youthful passions. And the reality is I've met some 50-year-olds that still are playing around with their youthful passions. They're not even just playing around with them. They're giving themselves to them. And what does the Bible say? I want you to flee those things. And then I want you to do the opposite. I want you to run away from that. And I want you to run headlong, pursue. I want you to pursue righteousness. I want you to pursue faith. I want you to pursue love. I want you to pursue peace. I want you to pursue these things. So run away from this and run towards this. Some of you are like, I don't know how. You ever been around people that when you're around them, you love God more? Nobody? You're like, no, I don't know anybody that loves God. So that's your first problem. Run away from those people. Run and hang out with the people that when you're around them, you're like, I love God when I'm around you people. Go hang out with them. Maybe you're like, hey, I don't understand it. Every time I go to the bar, I end up with 40s taped to my hands and I'm drunk. Don't go to the bar. I don't even know what that illustration was, but you know what I mean? So often we don't stop long enough to go, okay, what do I need to run away from? Now in this world, if we ran away from everything that was ever tempting to us, you would just never stop running, right? So on some level, you got to come and be honest with God and let scripture arm you and really lean into the power of the Holy Spirit because you've not been given a spirit of, of fear, but of power. The ability to say no to some stuff. The ability to say, that's not good and I don't want it. And then the ability to run towards the things of God. I'm a big fan, actually, of, of purposely setting aside time to run towards the things of God. Now, I'm not a, I don't like morning time. Any morning time, people? Like, you're like, five o'clock, that's my fun time. You are stupid. Um... Like, I have to get up now because I started a gym, but I do not like getting up. I'm barely alive, okay? But I do love in the middle of my day about the lunch hour, I'll go on a walk with God. Why? Because I want to run towards him. And I don't, I hate days going by and I forgot that God was with me. And it's happened a lot. I'll get to the end of the day. I'm like, God, I'm sorry. I gave you so little attention today. I want to make time. So maybe it's in the morning. Maybe you're a morning person. Set aside time to be with God. Maybe you're not a morning person. Afternoons, God's still there. He doesn't just exist in the dawn hours, but in the afternoon and in the evening. I mean, and a lot of times at night after we've given dinner to the kids and they're doing their pre-bed stuff, we'll take a quick walk and pray. Why? We want to run towards God together. Run towards righteousness. And then he says, finally, the Lord's servant must. And then he lifts off about four things. Anybody want to be a servant of God? 
I hope everybody raises their hand. On some level, everybody's in here because you're like, I want to serve God. Some of us don't know how. Some of us are struggling. That's okay. But he gives four qualifiers. Number one, must not be quarrelsome, but kind. You ever met somebody that just loves to fight? They're like, I'm going to go pick a fight. Like, they just go pick fights all the time. In fact, you ever met a Christian that likes to fight? Go on a reformed, like, uh, social media board, you can find some bros that like to fight, usually in Greek and usually wrong. But see, this is how I was raised. You get this combative Christianity and Paul goes, Timothy, the Lord's servant doesn't quarrel, but he is kind. So are you kind? Are you kind to even who people you think are morons? Are you kind? And I can't tell you how many meetings, my mouth gets in front of me sometimes and I'm highly sarcastic. And my mind will go faster than my heart. And so then my mouth will run fat and it's just a whole bad thing. And I've had to go back to so many meetings and be like, when I said you were a moron, I meant it, but I did it. So I'm sorry. Like, do you understand this work that we're not here? I'm not here to prove somebody wrong, make them feel stupid and destroy them with theology. I'm here to bring them up in the kindness of God that it might lead them into the truth. I've had people look me square in the face, call me a heretic and walk out of this church and they never gave me a lick of scripture about it. No kindness, a lot of quarreling. Are you quarrelsome? Do you like a good fight? Now there's a difference between a good fight and standing in the truth. Not quarrelsome, but kind, able to teach. Now he's leaning into pastoral qualifications, elder qualifications, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1 kind of stuff. But he's like, are you able to tell someone, could you tell someone if a person on the street right now, let's just say God's been convicting them all day, circumstances have lined up and they notice you have a cross necklace on and they run up to you and you go, tell me how to be saved. Can you tell them? Can you tell them? Not, oh, let's go find my pastor. He'll tell you. Uh, can you tell them? Can you lead them in a prayer? Can you get them a Bible? Can you grow them up in the Lord? Can you disciple them and show them how to pray and how to read the word and how to serve and how to lay down their life? Can you? And you're like, sometimes it's, it, a leader can get involved in that, but really he's like, are you able to teach them what's true? And the only way you can teach someone what's true is if you know it. And the only way you can know it is if you've hidden it in your heart. He says there, the Lord's servant is not quarrelsome, but kind, able to teach and endures evil. I found that we love this idea in Christianity. It's much harder in practice. If a man walks up to any man in this room and open hands, palm slaps you across the face, what's your initial reaction? I know what your reaction is, uh, is you're smiling. He's like a jujitsu guy. He's like, Quitta! like, you know, that's the normal reaction in humanity is you poke me, I will poke you harder. You punch me, I will stab you. You hurt me, it's tit for tat. It's like, we're, gonna go, we're just gonna go back and forth. But he says, the Lord's servant endures evil. You ever had a boss mistreat you? What's the Bible say a Lord's servant will do? Endure evil. You ever have somebody lie about you behind your back? Endure evil. You have somebody ever say, hey, that Christian did this thing, but you didn't do that thing? Endure evil. This age is getting eviler. And we're gonna get, we're gonna have to step more and more into holiness and more and more enduring false things, mean things, 
They might, they might start taking rights away. I don't know. I don't really care. I, I can't wait till they send me to prison for preaching about Jesus. What I'm going to do, I'm going to endure evil. And then I'm going to write a letter to you guys and be like, I'm in jail. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll be like, get me out. And you can pray and an angel will bust me out of prison. We'll have some cool stories. Cool. All right. And then he finally says he corrects his opponents with gentleness, right? You ever have somebody correct somebody with a real firm hand and makes them feel belittled? That's not the way of the Lord's servant. The Lord's servant corrects people and with gentleness, even their opponents. Why? Because we're not trying to win an argument. We're trying to win souls to Jesus. And I've never seen someone debated into oblivion be like, you know what? I see your point. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. But I have seen people wept over, answered with gentleness that go, you are strange to me. That even though I'm against you, you love me. A good friend that I uh, used to work out with a lot, we had Chipotle the other day, and I'm going to use a bad word because he used a bad word. He looked me square in the face, and he says, everything you believe is bullshit. And I said, funny, everything you believe, I think the same. But he said, but you've never belittled me. And every time I told you I was afraid of this or had struggles with marriages, I'd call you and you'd pray for me. Can we have lunch? So what happened? Gentleness won the day. The ability to sit with somebody who's like, I disdain what you believe, but I love how you love me. That spoke to this man. Be those people, God's servant. So here's what I like to do. Because we have some commands and we have nine whole minutes left. We did it, guys. Two whole chapters. We call that a mini miracle, all right? I do want to, though, not just talk about the Word of God. I want to let the Spirit of God who's in you do some work. Because some of you are doing dishonorable things, and God wants to remove those from your life. Some of you don't know your calling, and I would like to give God and the Spirit of God room to tell you what it is. What's He called you to do? So can you just get in a posture of prayer? And I think I'll have Davey, Dave, oh, Davey Bear. <laughs> David Bear, my friend. He's going to come up, and, he, and I, I love when Dave's around and we just give him freedom to just worship God out of the pureness of his heart. So I don't care if he leads you in song. I care if he worships God. Does that make sense? So Dave, you just worship God, all right? Everybody else, in a posture of prayer, I just want you to begin to think, if I was in a room with God and I started to ask him, what would, it, what would his response sound like? So if you need to bow your head, great. If you want to put your hands out in front of you, great. Like you're receiving something. Father, thank you for your word. We receive your word gladly today. The words that you spoke by the Spirit to Paul to give to Timothy. And we began to ask that you would apply those to our hearts right now. That the Holy Spirit was present when we got here, but I ask that we'd become aware right now. Holy Spirit, that you would come. And you to begin to reveal. So I want you to ask God, God, what, what do you want me doing right now? What's your calling on my life? And don't, don't fret if you don't hear anything or feel anything. But some of us have been avoiding our calling because it's going to cost us something. And I think you need to talk to God about, all right, Lord, you saved me. Now you get to use me. And you need to submit. 
others of us, maybe there's some dishonorable stuff. Will you be honest with God about it? Because maybe some of you are in this room, and I'm not trying to be crass, but you just love porn. Tell God. He knows. Don't hide from the lover of your soul. And begin to give him access to every part of you. And if there's a thing that if he brought it up right now, you'd be like, not that. That's probably the very thing, the reason you're here. So as we start to sing, the prayer teams are going to come up and the band's going to worship, but you're not held to this room. Give God what he wants. Go follow him all this week. Go be servants of the Lord. That's the fun thing. You get to go know God this week. And so, Father, we do, that's my prayer, that we would walk with you. That we, we wouldn't be half-hearted. You wouldn't have part of us. You'd have a whole thing. And where we're weak, I pray for strength in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray the application of the verse that says, you have not been given a spirit of fear. So would you remove fear off our hearts? That we wouldn't be afraid to talk about you in the square. Be afraid to talk about you at school. Talk about you in our homes. That we have been given a spirit of power. And I ask the power of God would begin to rest on people in this room. Power, God. Break sin in the name of Jesus. Break the lies in the name of of Jesus Christ. Spirit of power and of love. And I pray the love of God would begin to wash away maybe even years of grime. And a sound mind and self-discipline. Strengthen them, God, in their inner man and their inner woman say no to sin to crucify their flesh and to run in the fullness of life that you bring to so sitting there at God's feet begin to talk to him and then as Dave starts to worship you don't have to worry about knowing the words you just need to worship the Lord so that might lead you to lay on the ground that might lead you to kneel I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.